Welcome to Grim Gossip. Before we start the show, I want to give a proper warning. The episode you are about to hear may include grim details about assault, rape, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Today's case is about the Papine sisters. Their parents, Clemence Dare and Gustave Papine, lived in Le Mans, France when they first began dating. It was rumored that Clemence was having an affair with her employer, but when Clemence became pregnant, Gustave married her in October of 1901. Five months later, in March of 1902, they gave birth to their first daughter, Amelia. It was still rumored that Clemence continued her affair, so Gustave found a new job in another city and announced that the family would be moving but Clement said she would rather take her own life than move. This caused a huge strain in their marriage, and Gustave began to drink heavily. He also picked up abusive habits, such as verbal and physical abuse against his wife and his kids. Three years later, they gave birth to their second daughter, Christine, who was born on March 8th of 1905, but Clements had proven to be an unnurturing and unsuitable mother. So their newborn baby girl was given to Gustave's sister and husband to care for. Six years later, on September 15, 1911, they gave birth to another daughter who they named Leah. Same as before, Leah was sent to live with Clements's uncle until he passed, bringing Leah back to the Poppyan household around 1912 at just one years old. Shortly after Leah's return, Clemence discovered Gustave had been raping their oldest daughter, Amelia. However, she saw it as a consensual act between the two and blamed her daughter for having seduced her father. She filed for divorce immediately, but not because of the rape. It was because she was jealous of the attention he had given Amelia. So Amelia and Leah were sent to live at the Bon Pasteur Catholic Orphanage and Convent, which was known for taking in disgraced and unwanted girls and dishing out harsh punishments for minor issues. She also sent for Christine, who had been happily living with her aunt and uncle for seven years. Clements instructed them to send Christine to the orphanage immediately. Although the Catholic orphanage and convent wasn't the best environment, the girls seemed to thrive there. Clements had intended to leave them there until they turned 15, which was the legal working age. But in 1918, Amelia decided to enter the convent, taking her vows as a nun and cutting off her family completely. She is said to have lived out the remainder of her life there. This made Clements angry. She had fully intended to bring the girls back home so that she could put them to work. Christine had been inspired to take the same route as Amelia and wanted to take her vows as well, but before she had the chance, Clemence decided to bring Christine home as soon as possible, but left Leah there until she too turned 15. Clemence was able to get both girls' jobs as maids for hire. Despite their six-year age gap, the girls were very close. They did everything together and even requested to work together when they had the chance. It's important to point out that France was recovering from World War I, which left the country of France in devastation. 
The fallout continued through to 1932 and France had entered the Great Depression. During this time, in 1926, Christine found work with a prominent family as a maid. Monsieur René Lancelin was a well-respected attorney and his wife, Madame Leonie Lancelin, was a socialite and they lived in a mansion. They had three girls together, two of which were married and left the house already, and the youngest, Genevieve, still living at home with them. After six months of fantastic work, Christine convinced Madame Lancelin to hire Leah as their chambermaid, effectively bringing both girls together as live-in maids for this family. They were treated very well. They shared a room to themselves, were given time off when they wanted, and even though France was going through a depression, they were paid standard wages and on time. But a weird aspect of their time with the Lancelins was that Monsieur Lancelin never spoke to the Papine sisters throughout their seven years of employment. During their free time, the Papine sisters attended church, shopped at the local farmer's market, and visited a fortune teller often. The fortune teller told the sisters that their souls had been husband and wife in a previous life, which explains why their bond was so tight. However, the people in town looked at them weird because they kept to themselves and never spent time apart. The previous people who had employed the girls described Christine as a hard-working and intelligent individual, but childish and insubordinate. However, Leah was the opposite. She was introverted and extremely obedient. Together, they were described as cold and distant. Despite this, they enjoyed their time in the Lancelin household and things seemed to have been going great. So great that Madame Lancelin seemed to have become a mother figure to them. She discovered the terrible life they had endured and that the girls had been sending money back to their mom. They even began calling Madame Lancelin mom, referring to their own mother as that other woman. Madame Lancelin advised the girls to cut their mom off and even went as far as writing a letter to Clements telling her to leave the girls alone from now on. Six years later, in late 1932, Madame Lancelin's mental health took a sharp turn. She succumbed to her mental illness, which changed her personality. She went from being a nice mother figure and socialite to a demeaning and verbally and physically abusive authoritarian. She developed a severe case of depression and scrutinized everything the Papine sisters did. She began screaming at Christine and Leah for minor discrepancies that she saw. She started performing white glove tests on the furniture after they cleaned and pinched them hard if they hadn't done it correctly. She even slapped them if a button had come undone on their blouses. Madame Lancelin even started waking them up in the middle of the night to re-scrub the kitchen multiple times. After they were done, she would pour trash all over the floor and counters just to make them clean it again. From there, the abuse began to escalate. Madame Lancelin started to slam their heads against the walls if they did anything that did not meet her expectations. One night after one of these incidents, Leah told Christine that if the abuse continued, she would have to try to defend herself. On February 2nd of 1933, 
the Lancelins were invited to a dinner party. As the day starts, Monsieur Lancelin went to work as normal with the intention of meeting his wife and daughter at the party after work. Meanwhile, Madame Lancelin and Genevieve went shopping for new clothes for this party. When they returned home, all the lights in the house were off. She called to the Papine sisters to ask what had happened. They had to explain to her that the power outage was due to a faulty iron that Christine had plugged in earlier. Madame Lancelin flew into a rage and began to beat them both, slapping them around, pulling their hair, and slamming their heads into walls. In an act of self-defense, Christine grabs a pewter jug, which is a metal pitcher, and smashes Madame Lancelin over the head with it. In an attempt to protect her mother, Genevieve jumped in to help. But Christine grabbed Genevieve and dragged her away, screaming, quote, I'm going to massacre them, unquote, and proceeded to gouge out Genevieve's eyes as she screamed in terror. Leah was able to hold off Madame Lancelin, preventing her from attacking either of them any further or to help her daughter from the vicious attack. Christine then ordered Leah to, quote, smash her head into the ground, unquote, and, quote, tear her eyes out, unquote. And so Leah did as she was told, gouging out Madame Lancelin's eyes. As the two women laid there with their eyes beside them, the Pauline sisters went to the kitchen to find other weapons. They brought back a hammer and a knife to continue on to torture. The Pauline sisters began to beat and stab the Lancelins repeatedly over the span of two hours until they finally succumbed to their injuries. After they were dead, the Pauline sisters began preparing their bodies like wild game, meaning they began to skin the bodies, gutting them and butchering them. They even went as far as mutilating their genitals. It's said that they even used Genevieve's menstrual blood as a base of some sort, rubbing it all over the bodies of the Lancelin women. That evening, Monsieur Lancelin decided to make a pit stop at the house before heading to the party. But when he got home, all the lights were out and the door was locked, so he assumed that they had already left the house for the party and headed there himself only to find that his wife and daughter had not yet arrived. Worried about their whereabouts, he and a friend went back to the house. Upon getting to the house, it was still dark except for a single candle that was burning in the upstairs window of the Pauline sisters' room. They decided to go to the closest police station and bring an officer back with them. The officer canvassed the outside of the house, walked through the garden, and shined his flashlight into a window where he immediately saw one single eyeball on the floor lying in a pool of blood. He entered the home to discover the bodies at the top of the stairs on the second floor landing. The Lancelin women's faces were bludgeoned so bad they were unrecognizable. Upon the inspection of Madame Lancelin's body, they discovered her eyeballs in the scarf draped around her neck, meaning the eyeball they had found initially was Genevieve's. They recovered her other eyeball beneath her lifeless body. Fearing the worst had happened, the police believed the Pauline sisters had met the same fate. 
They continued up the stairs to the door of the Pauline sisters' room, where the candle was lit. When they got to the door, it was locked, but they could hear hushed voices talking. The officer knocked on the door repeatedly with no answer, so they got a locksmith to come and open the door, where they would find something they did not expect to see. When they got the door open, they discovered the Pauline sisters alive and okay but naked and in bed together, kissing. The hammer, still covered with blood and brains, was resting on their nightstand. The girls immediately confessed to their crimes, but claimed they only did it in self-defense. They were arrested on the spot and separated from one another. This separation caused the girls so much distress, they began to throw fits and cry, longing for one another. It got so bad that Christine became suicidal and tried to gouge her own eyes out. She began having hallucinations, attacking guards, and even went on hunger strikes. They had to put her in a straitjacket to prevent any more self-harm and tried to force-feed her. Eventually, tired of their tantrums, prison officials allowed the sisters to see each other once again. But when they saw each other, they immediately began kissing one another, and Christine began to undress Leah while begging, quote, please say yes, unquote. They were once again separated, and they went on to go to their trial for their crimes. Their trial was highly publicized, dubbing them the criminal sisters. Mobs of people came to see them at the courthouse, demanding that they be executed by guillotine, which is the large blade that comes down to behead you. No woman had been sentenced to death by guillotine since 1887. During their trial, their lawyers argued that they were not sane and that insanity ran in the family. As evidence, they produced records of a cousin who had died in an asylum, a grandfather who was prone to violent attacks, and an uncle who committed suicide in an attempt to prove the hereditary disposition to insanity. Experts said that the sisters shared a psychosis known as folly adieu, which translates to madness of two. This psychosis tends to show symptoms such as paranoia, hearing voices, inventing incidents that somehow end in self-defense, and unusual sexual behavior. But the courts did not agree. They deemed the sisters as sane and therefore guilty. Christine was sentenced on September 30, 1933, to death by guillotine in the public square in Le Mans, France. Leah was only considered an accomplice and not the ringleader, and was given a much lighter sentence of 10 years of hard labor. While Christine was being held, she began to go crazy. She again tried to scratch her own eyes out. On January 22, 1932, the president issued a stay of execution for Christine, and her sentence was changed to life imprisonment in an asylum. But she was not allowed to see her sister, which drove her crazier. She started starving herself, which ultimately killed her on May 18, 1937. Leah was released after eight years on good behavior in 1941, she is said to have gone back to her mother's house after her release 
where she lived out the remainder of her life under a new name, returning to work as a housemaid once again. It's speculated that Leah was found living in a hospice center in France. The woman, who was thought to be Leah, had suffered a stroke, leaving her partially paralyzed and mute. It was not proven to be her, and this woman soon passed away in 2001. People said their crimes were an example of class warfare. They saw the sisters as victims of class oppression, being forced to live in terrible conditions by their high-class employers who enjoyed all the lavishes life had to offer. And that is where the case ends. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, there's many more to come. Hit the subscribe button so that you get notifications when new episodes drop. If you have any suggestions, send them my way at grimgossippod at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at grimgossippod. All websites used for the research is in the show notes if you guys want to take a deeper dive into this case. Thank you for listening. Until next time.